Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hail Varsity Radio is live. Now, back to Schmitty. Schmitty's a great guy, but he don't have a brain. And Elijah. You want me to speak? We're not pointing you yet. On Hail Varsity Radio. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio. We welcome in college football insider and author Brad Edwards. A little 30,000-foot uh, th- view of college football from Brad at J. Brad Edwards on Twitter. Brad, what a college football it's been. Good to spend a few minutes with you. How are you? I'm doing well, Chris. Good to talk to you again. Uh, it's been an interesting start to the season, hasn't it? It has, and there, there's a high level of Dion fatigue with with my listener base the Nebraska fan base after many of them went out to Boulder we were out in Boulder and that second half didn't go well but coach coach Prime and company have stayed unbeaten the uh, number is nine million tuned into Colorado Colorado State and college football has been highly regional for a long time but your neck of the woods, Brad, folks that aren't tuning into college football are now tuning in, correct? Yeah, it's crazy. I was just telling you this, uh, you know, before we got on the air that um, I'm now, I mean, for, for most people probably don't know this about me, that I, I have recently transitioned to a job in sales. And we'll just kind of leave it at that because the rest of it isn't necessary. But in my office, there are a couple of guys who are from Brazil who live in the Boston area. And when I say they're from Brazil, I mean they moved to the United States when they were teenagers. And they have become NFL fans because they're right there where the Patriots are. But they're not college football fans. And I was listening just a few hours ago to a couple of these guys have a conversation, not with me, knowing that I had worked in college football. This is just completely on their own. I was just overhearing their conversation about staying up past 1 a.m., local time to watch the end of the Colorado, Colorado state game. And they're just, there are people like that all over the country that are just really enamored with this Deion Sanders story and what he has done, obviously because of his background as a player and, you know, being um, as, as great as he was on the field to have now transitioned into coaching and, you know, and, and quite honestly made the unconventional move from the swag to the power five, you know, and, and now he's, you know, really proving a lot of doubters wrong that he could do it at the power five level. And of course, how good they are remains to be seen. It's a very good chance they could come back to earth quickly in these next two games. Uh, and if they do, I'm sure a lot of that national interest from the, the non-college football fan will wane. But at the moment, just general sports fans are, are very interested in what Dion is doing in Colorado. Do you think the interest, let, let's put a percentage on it, kind of break it down. Is it the, the Dion personality where it is reality TV, it is brash talk that's backed up so far with results? Is it the uniqueness of him flipping a roster 
total demolition and then renovation quickly via the portal? Or is it the fact that it's been 30 years since Colorado's been good and they're a, they're a new team to take interest in instead of the same four to six teams that have competed and won in the playoff? I think it's mostly one and a little bit of two. Okay. Uh, in that, yes, he is brash, just as he was as a player, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Dion is, is Dion. And, uh, and that still carries over to him as a coach. And so he's attention-grabbing. He says things that most coaches wouldn't. Um, not quite in the same way that Steve Spurrier used to, but, but you know, in a similar manner. Spurrier, you know, would, would blurt out things. The typical coach would not in front of the media, and he didn't care. Um, but uh, that, that's what I think to a lesser extent, the fact that, you know, everything about him is unconventional including the approach that he took uh, when he got the job, turned over the roster, you know, running a lot of guys off, bringing in a bunch of transfers. And uh, that is part of the story. And, um, look, I, I mean, it's fascinating to a lot of people in the sports world, as I mentioned earlier. And, and I know it has to also be frustrating to a lot of fans around college football whose coaches are taking the more conventional approach and building a roster um, slowly the, the way that it typically would be done as opposed to what Dion did. And, uh, I mean, look, and I, I realize I'm about to bring up a name that is going to naturally draw negative attention because of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. But let's not forget, two years ago, Mel Tucker had a similar situation at Michigan State um, not that he came in and ran a bunch of people off, but he had to kind of turn over a roster and do so through the transfer portal. And he brought in a lot of first-year players and had immediate success at Michigan State, for those who, who remember that team. You know, you're obviously seeing the Big Ten. And, and so Dion is not the first coach at the Power Five level to be able to bring in a ton of new players, try to build that chemistry very quickly and have a lot of success doing it, whereas a lot of people would have said that that's not how you win at the highest level of college football. Well, now we have another example that it can be done that way. Now, can it be sustained? That, that's a whole different story. You know, a, a program like Nebraska, where Matt Rule is doing it the old-fashioned way, um, they may prove to be a lot better off four or five years down the road than, you know, than Colorado will be with Dion. But that remains to be seen. But at the moment, um, there, there's no question that the, whether you can win at the Power Five level by immediately turning over a roster and bringing in a bunch of transfers who might be more talented than the guys who left, um, that is doable. Brad Edwards with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Brad, that's the, the million-dollar question. Can you sustain it? And Tucker did not and is in the midst of a major, major controversy where there's been a letter of termination by the university. He's going to fight that. Do you think Dion's in Boulder for the long term, the long haul? That is the big question is, is how sustainable is this? Because I mean, with, with Mel Tucker, I mean, the off the field stuff aside, and I know that's, that's difficult to, to say at this moment, but we had already seen the decline in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, that he got that big contract for success in year one, and that level was not being sustained. 
Um, and so what, what is going to happen with Dion? The, the other thing is, is if you come in and you do this at a Michigan State or a Colorado and, and not, you know, a blue blood, then even though you're at the Power 5 level, I mean, let, let, let's say Dion does sustain it, uh, after, if not year, well, you know, probably after year one, but, but definitely after year two or three, he would start to get some offers from some programs that could pay him a lot more. And uh, one one that I know has been hitting the rumor mill hard because they've got major questions about their current head coach, and they're in a state where Dion used to play professional football is Texas A&M. Um, and so that's the other question about when you when you do this and you have immediate success, are you even going to? I mean, the coaches that would do this are they even going to stick around long enough to be able to build that thing? you know, over the course of four or five years. I, I think that's just as big of a question as whether it's, it's doable. Brad Edwards with us, college football insider at Edwards on Twitter is where you find him. Brad, what do you think of Alabama this year? I know there's been the quarterback merry-go-round. Uh, Ole Miss is coming into Tuscaloosa. Uh, not a great performance by Bama after a, a, a non-conference loss of all things to Texas just two weeks ago. What's the state of Coach Saban in, in Bama? Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Alabama, for those who haven't watched them play closely, is that the offensive line is a mess. And they expected that to be one of the major improvements with this year's team. They've been kind of mediocre the last couple of years when Bryce Young was the quarterback. And they knew that with a less talented and inexperienced quarterback this year, they were going to need the offensive line to take over and control games. They're struggling to establish the run. They're struggling to protect the passer. And, you know, Alabama has used three different quarterbacks. They went into the fall with a competition between three guys for the starting job. It didn't appear that anyone really separated himself. Jalen Milrow, almost by default from being the guy who had been in the Alabama program the longest, uh, got the job as the starter for game one uh, against an overmatched Middle Tennessee. He did pretty well, uh, started against Texas. There were some, some, there were some good and some bad from him in that game. And the, the bad was two awful interceptions that both set up Texas scores. I mean, just where – guy's just reading the quarterback's eyes and he just doesn't see a defender throws it right to him so Nick Saban knew that before conference play started he had to get the quarterback thing figured out because game one in conference play is this Saturday against Ole Miss as you you had mentioned very losable game so last weekend he gave the other two guys a shot neither one of them distinguished himself and so he's back to Milrow now and I, I I think this is this is the best Alabama has for this year um, Milrow is a great athlete with a really strong arm at this stage of his career, not great at reading defenses. And to be honest, I'm kind of surprised they haven't used him um, by design in the running game more than they have. He's definitely scrambled a few times, made some big plays, but as far as design runs, uh, we haven't seen much of that from him. And so I think that's a big question. You know, Now that they have settled on him as the starter, are they going to – take better advantage of his skill set by tweaking the playbook a little or are they going to stick to what they've been doing the past few years with four guys who are now uh, starting in the NFL and let's even throw out Jalen Hurts because Jalen's skill set is 
more in line with what you know with what Jalen Milrow uh, would be able to do, and that was a different offense they were running with Jalen Hurts. What they did with Tua and Mac Jones and Bryce Young, that doesn't necessarily play to Jalen Milrow's strength. And so that's a big question. What what are we going to see with the new quarterback this weekend? Or I should say, going back to the previous quarterback this weekend against Ole Miss. And to me, the big thing is, unless this offensive line just miraculously figures it out and starts to click, if Alabama is going to even win 10 games this year, I mean, forget contending for the playoff. At this moment, that appears to be a dream. But if they were even to go something like 10-3, and that would require their defense to play at a level that they haven't played at since at least 2017. So I think that's kind of where we are with Alabama right now. And, and I, Chris, I think it's very fair at this point to question if they had not done everything that they've done over the previous 15 years, would they even be ranked in the top 20 right now? Because they have not looked like a top 20 team. And, and I think they're just simply sitting there at number 13 right now because they're getting a lot of benefit of doubt. Well, it's reputation right now, and they got to provide a, a different set of optics this weekend. Brad Edwards with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. A national look at college football. Some parallels there with Nebraska and Bama actually at quarterback. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back in Hale Varsity Radio. More college football thoughts, Nebraska and beyond. Brad Edwards with us here. Talking college football in the weekend slate. Clemson and Florida State. Florida State almost got scared. Well, they got scared, and they almost got beat by B.C. Clemson's out of the poll for the first time in forever, first few years of the Dabo era. He's also having a a bit of an issue this season. Clemson doesn't look like Clemson. And uh, it's interesting where Saban really got after the the Bama brain trust about this NIL thing, and, you know, Dabo's been resistant to it uh, for the longest time. Brad uh, and and Clemson seems to be kind of falling down the ladder a bit. Yeah, I think I think the comparison is fair in that you know not too many years ago these were clearly the two best programs in college football. It met in what was it three four? <laughs> well, they they met in four straight playoffs, and three of those were national championship games. And um, you know, in those days, feel long gone. They weren't that long ago, but they feel long gone. Both programs have taken at least one step back since then, and I, I think they're in the similar boat this Saturday of of knowing that, look, if they have it in them to flip a switch, this is where it has to come because uh, Clemson already has a conference loss. Alabama's loss, of course, is out of conference, but if, if either of those teams loses this Saturday, any chance of them having what you would categorize as a good season by their standards is pretty much out the window. And, and so uh, I'm intrigued to see what Clemson uh, – and, of course, Clemson and Alabama are both at home, but I was going to say to see what Clemson at home um, is able to, to show here against Florida State. And uh, I would have never imagined before the season started that, that either of these teams would be unranked, you know, going into this game. But Clemson is, as you mentioned. And, and we'll see. I mean, look, their backs are against the wall, and we're, we're going to get their A game. The question is, how good is that? Mm. I actually like their chances here, even though I think Florida State's the better team. Um, but because of the situation, I, I'm leaning Clemson. But um, there, there's no doubt to me that they are they are not what we're used to seeing Clemson be. 
Quick thought on the Pac-12, a, a nice fare thee well, eight teams in the top 25, and yeah. a lot of them look really good, and it, it's the it's the power five right now with the best quarterbacks in it. Yeah, absolutely, and you know that was all the hype coming into the season was the quarterbacks in the Pac-12, and since then, you know, we, we've, we've added Shadur Sanders to the list, um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the quarterback play, and what, what it tells you is that the league is, uh, number one, as deep as it has been in a long, long time and should have the best chance by far it's had in a long time to get a team into the college football playoff, which they haven't done since the 2016 season. But the other side of it is when you have this many solid, or I guess I would say above average teams in a conference, and so many of them have a talented quarterback, it just increases the chances that everyone could take a couple of losses in league play. Mm-hmm. And that's the worst-case scenario for the Pac-12 because, as we know, up to this point, the selection committee has not put a two-loss two team into that college football playoff, and that that's where you are as the Pac-12. It's like, look, it may be tough competition. It may be very difficult to navigate this conference without a loss, but you better do it without two losses. Uh, if you want to get into the college football playoff, because there's there's something about that second loss that really turns off the selection committee. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, what's going to happen to some teams like USC and Washington that have looked so good up to this point in the season. Uh, And yet we know most of the games on their remaining schedules, they can't go out there and, you know, bring their C game and come out with a win. Um, So there's going to be a lot of pressure to perform at a high level week after week. And uh, to be honest, I, I hope the Pac-12 has a good season. I hope they have a team that gets in the playoffs because that conference has been so big in college football history, and we know that this is its last hurrah. This is the last stand of the Pac-12, and I'm not saying I give them a good chance to win the national title at this point, but I at least want to see them go out with a playoff appearance. There, there's no off week. I mean, Oregon State's for real. Washington State's for real. Penix and Washington are high-level. Chip and UCLA are dynamite. Utah will beat the hell out of you. Oh, yeah, Oregon still uh, physical and fast. And then here come the Buffs. Just the Arizona schools. There are a lot of fans in other conferences that say that that's, that's the way their conference is, you know, pretty much every year. And now the Pac-12 maybe gets a little taste of it. But however you want to spin it, uh, it looks like it's going to be that type of year for that league. Real quick thought on Notre Dame hosting Ohio State before we talk Nebraska. Uh, danger zone for Ohio State, yes, always going on the road to South Bend, but Ohio State's not looked like they've reloaded this year, Brad. Yeah, and look, I, I think the fact that Alabama has done what it did has taken some of the conversation away from Ohio State, which d- despite looking you know, not like Ohio State, hasn't come close to losing a game. Now, of course, they haven't played anyone um, close to the level of Notre Dame yet. And so I think this is going to be a, a big test. And, and, you know, look, Ohio State this past Saturday did put up the – finally put up the kind of score you would always expect them to. Uh, but this um, – yeah, there's some questions here, especially about that offense. And what are we going to see against a, a better defense than what they've faced so far? I give Notre Dame a good chance in this game, and uh, and I wouldn't have said that before the season began. Uh, but you know what? You, you look at Ohio State, you look at Michigan, 
which has at times looked a little lethargic offensively through its first three games. Uh, you mentioned Florida State with the close call against BC last weekend and, and a number of, of other highly ranked teams. They're more of the highly ranked teams that have looked beatable than have not looked beatable up to this point in the season. And, and it, it makes you dare to dream <laughs> that this could be the year that we get <clears throat> somewhat of a Cinderella story. Most of these other top teams, I have some legitimate questions about, but two of the teams that I think have looked Im- impressive every time they've taken the field so far are Washington and Penn State. Mm-hmm. And, of course, neither is expected to be or perceived to be the best team in its conference. Brad, last thought on Nebraska. Matt Rule is all about development, the slow build. His practice style has been good for Nebraska. Sims may be back, but Sims, his history has traveled with him to Lincoln when it comes to the turnovers and decision-making. But yeah. the, the topic you touched on when we talked before uh, the season started about Rule and his development, it's going to show up, and it's already showed up with some names and faces Nebraska fans, well, have heard about but hadn't seen. Well, there's a lot of guys getting on the field and performing well. Yeah, and look, I, I know this is easy for me to say because I'm not emotionally invested in Nebraska football the way that uh, most of your listeners are, but um, this may be one of those seasons where you're just looking for little things. You're looking for the signs of improvement and not necessarily for that to be in the win column as much as you would like it to be. Matt Rule's track record and his previous stops, kind of the slow build, and I think it's, what, typically year three mm-hmm. when the team takes off. That's the way he does it, and it's worked for him. And so if you're going to be a Matt rule supporter and you believe in the hire then you can't be expecting big things record wise in year one because that has not been his pattern now if they win more games than expected that's a bonus really looking at development looking at you know maybe certain players that uh, you weren't really expecting anything out of who are starting to show some real promise and that's what I would focus on if I'm a Nebraska fan because that's been the coach's track record and he's had success when he's been allowed to, to do his thing it's worked Brad Edwards college football insider at J Brad Edwards Brad we'll do this again thanks for a few minutes you got it Chris take care